This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Both hailing from parts unknown at a combined weight of 501 pounds. They are the Morning Rush Hour World Tag Team Champions. They have no fear, no back down, just a couple of gutsy guys. No one will take those MRH World Tag Titles from these men. It's Taz, it's the Moose, illustrious champions, right here every day on CBS Sports Radio. You know it's every day, Moose and Taz be paving the way. Talking about every sport, you know that they never missing a play. From the NBA to the NFL, the college games. They always bring in the knowledge, nobody ever can try to go stop it. Only be talking the truth, only be talking the truth, hey. It is Taz and the Moose as we're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studios. Rocket Mortgage with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. You've got Mike and Pete across the way other side at the controls. Uh, Darwin Zook with your updates. 855-212-4CBS. 855-212-4227. Attention hotline fans. That is your number to call. As we got one hour down, two big hours to play with. We take it right up until 9 a.m. Eastern time, Taz. We spend a lot of hour number one talking about football. Odell Beckham Jr., a little Melvin Gordon update, a little Ezekiel Elliott update uh, with the Dallas Cowboys. Yes, as sir. we uh, talked a little NFL, we kick off this mm-hmm. hour talking a little college football because – Interesting comments from Northwestern men's football coach Pat Fitzgerald talking about attendance right across the college football landscape yes. uh, being down right at at these uh, at yeah. these big Division One programs sure. right yep, and yep. so let's let's hear from the Northwestern head coach and uh, and uh, on the reason as to why that is the case take a listen I think phones I think technology has been the decline in attendance number one I think. You know, watching young people today live like this instead of like that. You know, Stacey and I were out on a date last night, and there was two couples, two groups of couples sitting next to us, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm old. Like, not one of the four couples were talking to each other. They were all on their phones, and it just drove me up. to. I literally wanted to be like a dad and go, like, give me your phone, talk to each other. (laughs) I mean, this is pathetic. So it was really, really pathetic. And I think that's just, it's just changed the way a lot of younger people and younger fans intake is all through technology. And I mean, you watch a concert and everybody's holding their phone up. Like, listen, watch, take it in, create a memory. Because they don't go back and watch the videos. They just want to post it on their social media, which is pathetic because it creates a society of, look at me. Isn't my life great? Even though when they go home, they're like, I hate myself. I hate my life. Everything's wrong. So I think it's a big cause. I think it's, I think it's the root cause, number one. Um, you know, I think the fans that grew up going and tailgating and the fans that grew up going to the stadiums four hours before the games are getting a little older. 
And I think the next and, and younger generation of fans are more reliant on technology. They'd rather have 12 TVs set up in their in their TV watching cave than go to a game and experience the pageantry and the tailgating. So I think it's definitely things that we, we need to look at as, as, as a brand, college football, on how we can maybe create that type of environment and experience while respecting our communities and our neighborhoods to make sure the experiences that are happening don't impede on those neighborhoods. Yeah, a uh, lot to unpack there, my man. Yeah, um, yeah coaches, uh, I think coach might have a little bit more of an issue with, like, people on their cell phones in general. Like, he's he's <laughs> he really just let it loose. Listen, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with a lot of what he said, though, I will say. I mean, we know, I mean, you know, and, and especially, like, this younger generation of, of guys and girls that are in there, like, from 19 years old to, like, 24, 25 years old, in that range... You know, they're called Generation Z. That's what they're called now. They, everything has a label these days, as you know. And Generation Z is definitely obsessed with social media and their phones. There is no doubt about it. I agree with Coach Fitzgerald of the Northwestern program, totally. The, the thing is, how does that impact people going to games? Well, look it. I mean, I think that if, if you were talking to Jim Harbaugh at University of Michigan or Nick Saban, or stuff like that. These guys are drawing north of 100,000 people, students and people, alumni and, and people, locals in the area, to their games every Saturday, their home games. North Northwestern's not. North, Northwestern doesn't win enough at home. They were three and four at home yesterday, Moose. Uh, last year, I should right. say. Three and four at home last year. Okay? And and they're, they're in, what, the suburbs of Chicago. That's That's where their campus is which is right in the middle of the country. There's a lot to do in Chicago. Um, look, at I, 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 I don't think – I agree with him about, about cell phone use and about that this, this younger generation is obsessed with their phones and they're definitely obsessed with social media. There's no doubt about that. I do. Uh, I get it. I have a son who's 20. Now, I will say my son is not a social media guy. He has a Twitter account. He doesn't mess with it. A lot of his friends don't even mess with Twitter. They'll mess with Instagram. But even that, they back off of now a little bit. I think they're getting to that point once they get into that, you know, 21, 22 year old. I don't even think it's just the, the social media. It's just people having their heads buried the cell in the phone. phone. Right, right. right? But I a mean, lot of times it's because of the social well, media or is, Facebook. But it's or, also, I mean, Taz, people don't pick up the phone anymore. No, I mean, just they just text. Yeah, no. I mean, people are just, I mean, you, yeah. could, you, know, right. you know, you could call somebody. Uh, they won't answer the phone. Then they'll text you back. What up? Actually, and, you're right. and that you're right. and that to me is that's where you grow frustrating because you know there's no, little to no communication. I mean, Tess, you and I, we grew up where there were no cell phones. Correct. I mean, I, Correct. I didn't have a cell phone. No, right. I, I mean, you know, I, no we had thing. a we had a landline. Right. right. If, of course. You know, yeah. if if you're, you're, Jones. right, if yeah. you were going to get together with your buddy uh, or your friends, you're going to go play basketball, right. go play football, go play baseball. Call them on the kitchen phone. Right. Call them on the phone. You pick up the phone <laughs> and whatever, and then you head it out. I we mean, had that, the, that we had the rotary. Did you have rotary? I had the rotary as well. So I mean. Like, you look at it, it's just different. I mean, now nowadays it's just different. Now, you're right. I mean, when you look at, when you look at Pat, what, what Fitzgerald had to say, you're right. I mean, the frustration aspect is where you're staring at your phone, and I think, I think as a society we're probably getting worse and worse with that. I where think so, yeah. You look up, and, and people, you know, you go to a concert. Right. Look at look at videos. That's now what he was a, saying. He was saying that about the yeah, concerts. Right. Look at a video. To your right. point. Look yeah. at a video. Like you go to a concert now, and people are holding up their phones, yeah. shooting video <laughs> instead of taking in the moment. I know. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Like, uh, to a like lesser degree of a concert. People used to hold up flashes. Right. Uh, 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 lighters. Lighters. They don't do yeah, that yeah. anymore. 
uh, the other night, my son played in an alumni lacrosse game at his high school. They played in this. Uh, there was a police officer who was killed a few years ago named Brian Moore, who was from our town. Okay. And so they do this. They do a, a tournament called Shootout for Soldiers for Injured Nice. War, you know. He did that last oh, year, Yeah, he right? did. He yeah. plays in it every year with his... Because this officer who was killed went to my son's high school. Okay. So they have all the alumni from the school. They play a big lacrosse game, and it's a ton of people come. So my wife and I go, obviously. And I'm with my phone. I'm about to take video from playing. I'm like, you know what? I'm not doing that. Right. I, I, I've always done that. I'm, I'm putting my phone in my pocket. I want to watch him play. I want right. to watch him and his former teammates, you know, high school buddies play, play and just enjoy it. Yeah, and yeah, I, that's, yeah nice. that's it. You know, and... Because I didn't want, and I thought of that, like what you said about people at concerts and oh, your you kids are little. You'll see, as I'm sure when, yeah. when you guys playing hockey, oh, you got your phone out. Yeah, I do take videos. Yeah, yeah. Them. But right. you try to pull it, you try to put the phone away too. Well, yeah, I try to because yeah. my, my son will come over sometimes, he'll skate over my oldest son, Jackson, and say, You're on your phone. You know? Oh, really? He yeah, says that. He does. Yeah, wow. My oldest son, Jackson, yeah, yeah. will be like, You're on your phone, you know, you know, and, and not saying that he has to, I have to watch him the right, entire right, time. Right. But he'll be like, "Daddy, can you put your phone down yeah. or something like that?" Because you know you're bi- you know you're busy See, trying to multitask and everything like when that. When my son was little, we, you know, cell phones weren't that popular. No. But let me actually, as a parent now, yeah. that's interesting. You just said that. Um, that's got to. I don't want to sound the wrong way here. That's got to feel a little weird, like when your kid oh, says that. Terrible. You feel terrible. Yeah, yeah I feel yeah. bad. Yeah, I yeah, feel yeah, bad yeah. Because I'm sure a lot of parents deal with that yeah, in this day and age. You yeah. want to be in the moment, and you know, listen, I'm not the president of the United States. I'm not, you know, Leon, you know. Oh, so it, you, you lead oh, to there's a, a line in there somewhere. No, yes. but you know, you know what I mean. I mean, like, yeah. you know, could could the text I'm about to send, or could whatever wait a half hour to actually tweet take or whatever you're doing? Wait, yeah, could yeah, it wait yeah. a half hour? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you're you definitely know. waiting your tweets. Well, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, you know what I mean? That. Yeah, I feel bad. You know why, yeah. Taz? You, you, because you want to be there. You want to be in the right. moment. That's, that's Just as you were in the moment yeah. watching your son that play yeah. and for a great charity, great cause. Yeah, right. You know, you want to be in the moment watching your kids or watching whatever it might be. You want to at a concert, at a baseball field, yeah. or this and that. But that's no longer the case because you're seeing more and more people that are watching, you know, to play the point, not just there. Uh, they're not watching the game. They're more a case of sending out tweets or sending out videos or sending out that. Now, is that leading to, to a downturn in attendance in college football? I See, I don't – that's where I disagree with Coach Fitzgerald. I, I don't think it is. <clears throat> I really don't. Now, look, at if, if I think that – I was reading a report the other day, and it's like uh, over the past five years, college football attendance has dropped. So I think that was maybe what the question was to Coach Fitzgerald. Um, you know, over the past whatever, four or five years, why has it dropped? But I'm sorry. I mean, you and I, you and I are watching the same games like most people listening to us right now. All these great college football teams that we're watching play, from Clemson to you know uh, to, to to Alabama to you know Penn State to Michigan, who, Ohio State. Go tell me that that you're going to say to Ohio State to the Buckeyes that they're not drawing. That place has got over a hundred thousand people in, in the shoe every freaking home game. No. The Big House of Michigan packed. Alabama, LSU, dude. What's it called? The uh, what's the name of that state? That, uh, uh, the Swamp. What's it called? No, LSU. What's it called? No, Baton Rouge. Well, what's LSU? Well, state? L- they got a no, the Swamp is in Florida. Uh, my bad. That's uh, the game. Right. What the heck right. is LSU? LSU. Um, they have a nickname. For well, their... it's in Baton Rouge. I forget. It is what... in Baton Rouge. 
I forget what the nickname of it is. No, it's Tiger Stadium, but I thought there was a nickname. Maybe yeah, I you might be the right. Gators. There might be a nickname, but yeah. I forget it. But regardless, the LSU draws huge, dude. LSU's numbers are insane. Now, They're we attendance. did talk about last year Alabama. Remember Saban coming out, criticizing the student population for not They were looking out. at their phones while they were, games were going on. Well, not on. just that, but also not showing up for when they were playing the, the Oh, that's the right. He did say schools. that. He did say that. Remember that's he right. came out and said, this place, we need your support that. every week, not just when we take he out all at the student yeah, body. He, he, he did. Right. He basically slapped their wrist <laughs> and said, did. you got to show up every week. You can't just be here for the big games. He did. He yelled at all the kids. So, I mean, you have it that way. Listen, Taz, can you look at the game day college experience? Can you look at showing up on a, on a college campus and, and watching, you know, the product? And you say, I, I think if you win, people are going to show. Well, that's my point. Yeah, I and, mean, and, and Northwestern North was three and four at home this right, year. Right, so if they're, if they're if you flip that through the seven games, if they're six and one, I mean, is Pat Fitzgerald coming out there and, and that's this, my point. making this kind of comment if he was six and one at home last year and the place was packed and – you know they were a you know a top ten school. No, I don't. I don't think he's making these kind of comments. But it, it, it's kind of comments that cover a lot of different ranging Correct. things. There is a there is an issue in our society with with use of of cell phones, no and the dominance of cell phones, and and how it's kind of taken over a lot of people's lives, where there's not a that kind of one on one interpersonal reaction right. that there was fifteen to twenty years well, ago. That has gone by the wayside. You're right. And I'm going to tell you now, again, and this is what I think makes our show, our program we do, so you know, so cool for uh, parents out there that listen to us or even people that are potential parents or just people that are younger because my son is such a gap of age from your son's. Yeah. You know, your guys are younger, they're little, and mine is, you know, entering, you know, real life in essence. He's right. 20 years well, old, he's 20 right? 20 years old. So right. the thing is, like, so at 20 years old, you know, he's in that that cell phone for the past couple of years range. But I told you, like he, like for example, I was talking to him and his girlfriend. His girlfriend was over at our house the other day. She's twenty one, right? So, and we were, my wife and I were talking to him just at the house, just hanging out, and they didn't look at their phone. We had a conversation just about whatever, whatever basic stuff. It had to be twenty five, thirty minutes. Neither of them, they had their cell phones on our kitchen counter. Neither of them looked That's great. at their phone. And I said, I pointed it out to them, and they both kind of said the narrative of what they said was. Well, it's see, it's just it's oversaturated. Like they're annoyed. Like it's, and I don't want to say these two kids speak for the generation of twenty-year-olds, but they were like, it's annoying because it's everywhere, and like, and it's people are obsessed with. It. My point in saying this, I don't think I'm wording it right. I do think there's some hope. I do think that when you hear a twenty and a twenty-one-year-old say that, right, and it kind of feels like. Maybe maybe that, there's a turn. Right, it's a turn where when your kids yeah. are 19 years old, it's not as it's, it's not, not as it's right. not as overbearing as and I, I hope you're right because Taz uh, Death know, the, Valley, by the way, LSU. Thank Death you, Valley. Thank you. Right. So I mean, mean. Taz, um, <laughs> I look at it and uh, I, it is uh, it is something where th- hopefully that's a sign of things to come. Uh, you know, but there's so you, many. Excuse people. me, your sons have cell phones. Or, no, no, well, no, your little guy no, does. Six, no, Jackson, no, 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 no. Dude, there were some people. I'm sure he has friends that have cell phones. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he probably does. We limit iPad use. Good, good, good. We good, limit, good. we limit all that. But we don't, we don't give them. You Jackson's know, how old? Six. Dude, I guarantee you, there are people with I'm six sure, year olds with cell phones. I'm sure. I, uh, I think you might be right about that. I think a couple of his classmates. Do. Crazy. That's yeah, which I, I, to me, I find to be asinine. That's and and there are other kids. There are other parents that give their kids the iPad, and basically that's like kind of like the babysitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're hanging around on their iPad all day Dude, long. And ha- and that 
you know, we want, you know, we grew up in a generation that was no iPad. And I'm not telling you all that stuff is bad. That stuff's great. Technology is great. Information is great. We talk about a lot of different things here on, on our program each and every day, Taz. But I also think it, it can be too much. And, you know, you want to have you want to have kids that are active, yes. that are out there playing. Got to be active. That, that want to go to the playground. Right. They want to go ride their scooter. They want to go play baseball. That's they right. want to go play football. Whatever it might be, go play with their friends. You don't want people just sitting there and, and playing and being sedentary, sitting on their iPads playing video games. Absolutely. No, you don't. And and that's a very important thing. And, you know, and, and people know that. You got to, you got to, if you're a parent, just make sure it's just great for your kid's mind, not just his physicality, he or her's physicality, but for their mind mentally. I know, like, my kid was never big video. We made sure he was a big video game kid. Yeah. And to this day, he's still not. He'll play, you know, like NBA live, he's not whatever. In. No, 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 he'll go to the gym. He'll do whatever. Yeah. He's just working. No. Taz, I remember growing up as a kid, like when I, you know, and and leaving the house on a summer day, you know, when and you know, I, we weren't. I wasn't. A, my family weren't big camp families, so right. I, I think was I went mine, to, yeah. uh, you know, it was, Brooklyn, was like you know I mean? right. I know what you mean, but you know, they had day camps and stuff like that. We're but camping I, at Prospect Park, right? You know? Exactly. <laughs> I went to a couple baseball camps. So that was basically it. But my point being is, I'd leave the house at like eight a.m. Yeah, you've gone all day. I was gone all day, bro. I hop on the bike, go meet up with my buddies. We did, you know, and you know, you'd go to the deli to get yourself a sandwich. (laughs) You have some money in your pocket. You'd be riding around. (laughs) You'd play football. You'd play baseball. You'd do all summer summer long, and that was it. But you'd be riding around. It it was just a different time. You'd come back at like five o'clock in the afternoon. Drive around now, you don't see kids doing it. No, no, it's sad, man. For years, you don't see the kids doing it. I'll give you like I don't know if I said this on our show before. Like I, what you're saying, I did the same thing when I was a kid. In the summer, I'd leave my house, uh, and I didn't have a bike because he used to steal bikes a lot in the area. Yeah, yeah. I'd walk around the block to my friend's house, and we would have wiffle ball tournaments. Nice. That's like, great. Dude, all day yeah, into the night, tournaments. Awesome. Like six or eight of us, and we'd be, and then we'd go to the pizzeria and just get a slice of pizza, yeah. get some Italian ice, go back and play more wiffle ball. Yeah. All day, dude. All day. All it's, summer. That's all we did was play wiffle ball. It was great. But those are great <laughs> days. Those are great That's it. Times. That's all we did was play wiffle ball against a garage. Right. Yeah, and that was the backstop. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Against some lady's garage. She was like, yeah, I don't care. You know, we use a garage. But anyway, the thing is, though, like, now, I... I like, so when my son was younger, you still didn't see kids playing in the street. Like, he wasn't. I'll give you an example. He wasn't, when he was younger, he wasn't out playing wiffle ball in the summer and playing stickball or football with his friends. Like, he was playing, and a lot of, all of his friends, boys and girls, were playing organized sports. Yeah. Because, like, when we were younger, you and I, the organized sports, the, it wasn't there. It was school sports. It right, it was Correct. school sports. Yeah. Now, it's, it's different. Not just now. I don't know, 15 years now already. Yeah. It's, it, as you know, you're younger guys. I don't care if boy, girl, what sport, there's camps where your kids can go good camps to get the player better at that sport or play travel baseball or travel across, travel soccer. Even kids who wrestle, you can wrestle in the summer, kid wrestling programs. So they're not out. No, which is but at least they're doing something active. Well, they're doing something active, which and it's different. I'm not saying that that's that's a bad thing, but you know, it it's just different. You're right; it's changed, and everything's become yeah. more sports specific, big time. Yes, big where time. You're focusing on different things, which you know brings you. You know, we mentioned it right around the All Star break. You know, and and it kind of hit me, Taz, because we've talked about this a lot. You know, your son played. Um, and you know, continues is on you know uh, you know a major you know he's a big lacrosse player and and now he's at Sacred Heart he was at Bucknell and everything and the like. Taz, I, I look at what Mike Trout that video MLB put out right 
And I, I we talked about the time. Or, uh, you might have been out the day I, I talked Mike, about it. Yeah. So they did, MLB put out a hype video about you, Mike Trout. I remember you talked about this. I saw I mentioned yeah. it. He made a point anyway. He said, I played everything. Right. Up. That's it. And That's it showed it. him. It showed him basically playing golf. Right. It showed him playing football. Yep. It obviously when he was showed a kid. Him, when he was yeah. a kid, yeah. showed showed him playing baseball, doing everything and That's being right. act outdoor and That's being right. active. And we've talked about how many how many times have we talked to former athletes where they weren't necessarily great athletes now, right? Weren't so focused in on just one particular sport, sport specific, right? Played a lot of different things. I and and that's I. When my son was and little, son little, did he that did well. that. He played football. He played baseball. He played lacrosse. He wrestled. He played judo. You know, he's very active. But as he got a little bit older, this is the scary part. This is where I have a little bit of a take than a lot of people with this. Because it's a little bit some coaches will, Division One sports coaches will tell you what you just said. They will say, have your kid play everything. Pro athletes will say the same thing, like a Mike Trout. But here's the double standard on it. This is where the problem, I'm just being real here. Okay, you will learn, ladies and gentlemen, if you want your kid recruited in a said sport, that in the offseason, if your kid's busy playing a bunch of other sports, there's a good chance it's going to take a while for he or her to get recruited because he or her is not locked into that sport in those camps, in those recruiting camps. I'm not saying you have to do that unless your kid is an exceptional athlete in said sport. I'm just telling you from experience, watching a bunch of kids, that that's where it's a double standard. Okay, lacrosse is a spring sport. Cool. So have your kid play football uh, in the fall. Great. That's what coaches will tell. College lacrosse coaches will say. But, hey, coach, how is my kid going to play football in the fall when you guys are having big-time recruiting tournaments in the fall and he can't make a football game and his coach is going to kick him off the team? Well, let me ask you this. That's the problem. If you're good enough, if you're a good enough player, does it matter? Bro, it doesn't matter, I'm, I'm but you got you got to be like you got to be elite of the elite. Correct, okay. because you have to be. Now, my son was. I felt like as a high school player, he was elite. He was a top one hundred out yeah. of high school. Yeah, but I wouldn't say he was the best in the world. He wasn't like he had to go to these events to get ranked. Okay. And I don't care what. That's my point. I don't care if you play basketball. Well, let me play ask football. you this: Do you think if your son decided not to go, decided not to be so sports specific or go to those camps, do you think he would have ended up being at a Division One lacrosse program? Um, so basically, what you're saying a lot of people say, would they have found him? They probably would have because we live in a hotbed area for lacrosse. Okay, but. I think his chances would have been slimmer. He committed very young at a high school. Right, he committed when he was, he like, was a freshman in high school. Yeah, 15, okay, which I don't su- now the rules are different now. I don't suggest anyone doing that. In hindsight, it was a mistake. But when someone offers you a seat at the table, you're not going to say no. I mean, it's just the way it goes. It's whatever. That was his choice. Regardless, no. I, I, um, to answer your question, it would be a lot harder. Those hard. recruiting events, even with Long Island being a hotbed, yeah, for because there's a lot of competition. Okay. Everybody around them was great. Okay. They were all great. Most of these kids were really good. Right. So now, but if you, you know, if you're, I'm just saying, like, I don't care what sport the kid plays. In my strong opinion, that that narrative is true. To an athlete, a boy or a girl, to become better when they're little, they should play everything and they should learn. But the the money making gimmick that all these camps are, and they are, there is a connection to the colleges. But you're going to spend money. And your kid's gonna miss out on other sports. Yeah, which is a shame. My kid lived it. Yeah, no. I once know. you got into once you get into that eighth grade age, yeah, seventh and eighth grade, if your kid's good enough, that's where it gets real. Trust me.
855-212-4CBS, 855-212-4227. I miss being a kid. Hot taken over here. I know. I miss the wiffle ball. There's no wiffle ball tournament with the show here. I can picture Pete the body being a stud at no, wiffle I like ball. A little wiffle ball, a little stick ball. We put I a little like stick, ball, a little huh? stick ball as well, yeah. Play a little half ball, a little South Brooklyn style. We take a small Dean ball, a little bouncy ball, cut it in half. Yes. Do things, throw sinkers, everything. Oh, I know, yeah. With some of your former Met, uh, your SNY buddies. Have uh, some of those. Get them over here and play a little. Have uh, Todd yeah. Zeal come over. I'll strike him out. <laughs> Uh, It's Taz of the Moose here on this Tuesday morning, CBS Sports Radio. Listen to CBS Sports Radio with the Radio.com app, free and available in the Google Play and iTunes app store. It's Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. It's Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. All right, tonight, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific, CBS Sports Network is at Cheyenne Frontier Days for last Cowboy Standing. Major points, major money, and a major legacy is on the line as the top 40 riders compete till the very end. The PBR Unleash the Beast series continues on the 24-hour home of CBS Sports. Professional bull riding. Uh, that is an That's event. something I would have done if I didn't wrestle. I'd probably be a Have bull Have you ever rider. gone to a professional bull riding event? No, but it's I, actually entertaining. I haven't. It's I've, actually pretty good. I wrestled in like cow palaces. Yeah. You know, like they put the ring up like yeah, yeah, in yeah. Texas and Florida, but I'd never been to. It must be fun. Oh, to it's watch. fun. I've gone to a couple with my dad when they've been at the garden. They've been at the Madison Square Garden yeah. a couple times. It's, I know, I know, I know that. Yeah, I never. It's, um, it's fun. I mean, it, you give those. That's, I mean, that's, that's a tough. That you got to be strong. Oh, I, mean, I could do that. Mark. I mean, you got to be tough. Of course, I'm tough different. and strong. I, mean, I, I could do that. To, you know, to hop on the back of a bull. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, that's tough. I wrestled the big show. It's the same thing. I, it's not. He's bigger than a bull. I understand he's bigger than a big show. Is he? Remember? He's like a Brahma bull. He's right. Huge. He is. Yeah. I actually, wrestled the Brahma bull, The Rock. I know you did. I no one guys. I'm still here, bro. I know you're still here. Give the bull riders some. All right. All right. You're right. I mean, those guys. No, okay. Aside, those guys wrist grip strength is insane. It's like their forearms. Like it's nuts. I mean, to do what they do is is remarkable. Totally. It really is. Really is. Speaking of remarkable, look who just walked in. Yeah. Darren Zooks here. The Zooks. Right. It's the Deister. Yeah, the Deister. No, you call them. You call them DZ. No, you call them something. Face. Yeah. <laughs> What's going on, Darwin? Take it away, buddy. Okay. All right. This report sponsored by Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to Geico.com and in 15 minutes, save 15% or more on car insurance. NFL this time, pair of top receivers about to get paid. At least it seems that way. The Saints, Michael Thomas, and the Falcons, Julio Jones. Both on the verge of becoming the highest paid wideouts in the league. Currently, it's the Browns' Odell Beckham Jr. He makes $18 million a year. But Charles Robinson, Yahoo Sports, saying the Saints offering Thomas between 18 and 19 per season. Thomas wants 20, though, according to reports. And the Falcons' Jones might beat him to it. Atlanta reportedly set to offer Julio right now around $20 million annually. Speaking of Sounds big, like you yeah. said Falcons' Jones. I don't know. You get it. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Uh, Some yeah. people get that. No, no. Okay. That was All good. Right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You don't get it. Okay, keep moving. No, I get it. Dizook. I'm slow on the uptake. I'm still thinking about the bull run. Uh, speaking of big contracts, and NBA Wizards had to offer All Star guard Bradley Beal three years, 111 million on an extension. He's eligible on Friday. 
Beal won't be participating with Team USA in the World Cup later this summer, his wife expecting their second child, and Tobias Harris of the Sixers also won't participate in that. Tobias Heller. Tim Duncan is back. I think your goal is to just distract me as many times as possible. I, think that I lose my place. Yes. <laughs> now I look dumb. That's okay. Tim Duncan's back. Five-time NBA champ will be an assistant coach on the staff of Greg Popovich this coming season with the Spurs. Pop, in his usual deadpan fashion, said it's only fitting that after I've served loyally for 19 years as Tim Duncan's assistant that he returns the favor. To the diamond we go, Taz, I know you love Tom Hamilton, so little Tom Hamilton for you. The Indians going for their eighth win in nine games, taking on the Blue Jays. The pitch swung on and hammered. Deep left center field, and this ball is gone. Oscar Mercado has hit his eighth. And that is a triple and a home run in his last two at-bats. That is That Tom. wasn't that yeah. annoying. Usually he's a little bit more annoying than that. Yeah, usually it's the swan and blast. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know, I, I like that, him. That wasn't bad. Okay. Cleveland won the game 7-3. Mike Clevenger winning his third straight decision. Twins uh, remain three back. Excuse me, the Indians remain three back of the Twins in the AL Central as the Twins uh, went on to beat the Yankees 8-6. Five more home runs for Minnesota in that game. And Bruce Bochy managing his final year with the Giants. San Francisco starting to get a little of that magic back that led to three World Series titles under Bochy's watch. Giants rallying from two runs down, beating the Cubs 5-4. They're over 500 for the first time this season. This was Bochy after. Really good comeback. And and you look at uh, you know, the pen, too, once again. I know God gave up a run, but Palm goes out there for the first time. And uh, what a great job he did uh, bridging the gap there to get to our guys. And so, uh, really, really great game for us. Maybe a little Bochy magic left for the Giants. Bochy should do season. radio when he's, he's done this year, right? He's, he's got a great voice. Yeah, yeah great voice. He's got good great pipes. Voice. He's, he's yeah. done playing uh, coaching baseball this year. After yes, this, right. Yeah, it's going to be great. No, yeah, the team's uh, now just two back of the wild card um, in the NL race there. And finally, great game for Paul Goldschmidt. His fifth career Grand Slam. Cardinals beat the Pirates 6 5 in 10 innings. Back to you guys. All right. Thank you, Darwin. Coming up straight ahead, we're going to be joined by uh, George Chahori, uh, PFF, Pro Football, uh, PFF's Head of Research and Development. We're going to talk a little bit about football from a little bit of an analytical perspective, Taz. As camps are opening up, Can't right? wait. Yeah. It's going to be good. Absolutely. A little different perspective. So wait, like, like computerized stuff we're going to talk about? Well, it's an analytics. Yeah, so a statistical way of, of looking at football. What do you expect? Yes. He'll give you, a, open up our minds to a, a, a right, different yeah, way I'm of down. looking you at football. You know what I mean? Yeah, it yes. sounds great. Yes, it's exactly George. right. All right. It's Taz of the Moose here on this Tuesday morning, CBS Sports Radio. It's Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio. All right, CBS Sports Radio's toll-free line is brought to you by Geico. Great news. Quick way you can save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. 15 minutes. You can save 15% or more on car insurance. George Chahori joins us now, pro football focus um, and uh, head of research and development. Hey, George, it's Taz and the Moose with you. Thanks for a couple minutes this morning. We certainly appreciate it. George, what's up? How's it going, guys? I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. No, you got it, George. You got it. So for for those that don't know, right, give us an idea of how you take a look at, you know, how you look at at professional football here. 
Well, PFF is a, you know, a unique company. We obviously grade every player on every play in every game. And so that gives us a, an ability to model the way that teams are constructed more so than just looking at, you know, yards per play or how many points a team scored, right? We can really break it down uh, to a player by player, a facet by facet level, how good of a passing team, run blocking team, coverage team, you know, are our teams. And uh, so when we make predictions, when we go about doing math on football, um, we're trying to leverage that data set as best we can. So that gives us a little bit of a unique look uh, at the league. And obviously getting into the season, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at things. And we like to think that, you know, breaking it down the way that we do allows us to, to really have a nuanced approach to the NFL. Yeah, it's definitely, George, it's, it's pretty cool. It's definitely different. I mean, for sure. It's like, you know, you never, I've never seen it broken down to the level you guys do. Like, so run defense, right? So why is run defense overrated? Well, <laughs> the funny thing about, about the run game is that it, it gets you jacked up. It gets you pumped. You know, you stop a, you stop a couple runs here and there. But really what you're doing is you're, you're stopping the part of the game that doesn't matter nearly as much. And so you might actually be enticing the team to now throw more, and that's, that's what you want to do as an offense. Throwing the ball is just so more advantageous on a per-play basis, especially on those early downs, first down, second down, second down and long in particular. Um, and so run defense is just something that, um, you know, to be quite honest, being very good at is not all that advantageous. Um, you know, the, the teams like the Rams and the Chargers have been notoriously terrible uh, stopping the run and have managed to, to be very successful teams overall the past couple of years. Um, you know, when you look at, um, we talked a little bit about, earlier about Ezekiel Elliott here, uh, mm-hmm. George. What about what about the impact of star running backs in the NFL? That's such an interesting topic, and I, you know, we I think are predisposed to value um, what has been valued for a very long time, and certainly in history. You know, the star running back is the guy that, that gets you over the goal line, and so we've, we tend to value that. But if you look at it from a much more macro level, right, how impactful are these star running backs on a play-for-play basis, it just doesn't show up. There isn't that big of a difference between Ezekiel Elliott running the ball for the Cowboys and Rod Smith or Darren McFadden. Yeah, well, I mean, George, I think- George, let me interrupt you, please, sir. Yeah. I have to say yeah. this, though. Um, I, I think that running backs mean a lot more than just going over the goal line to score a touchdown. I mean, they're the ones that are getting your first down, short yardage. They're the ones without – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong here or tell me how I'm wrong through your analytics. Like, how is it like running backs and a good running game, that's going to loosen up your defensive backfield. So, like, it's going to keep the defense on their toes. If the if the defensive backfield and the linebackers know that you're going to just throw the ball all the whole time – you know, they're not take your first responsibility as a defense player is take your first step forward because it might be a run. So now, if you're not running the ball, or running backs don't matter, or the or running game doesn't matter, the defense can just kind of pin their ears back and just know it's going to be a pass. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm just a little confused on how that how running the ball doesn't matter. No, I, and you bring up points that are you know uh, very widely accepted, right? So I think there's a couple here. So the first is when you try and pick up, say, a you know, third and one, for example, or, or just any run play in right. general, okay. the most important component of your run game is your run blocking. So if, I, if I'm trying to predict how successful a run play is going to be, 
how good your team is at blocking for the run game in run blocking your offensive line, your tight end of absolutely. is, is more important. And so I can actually take, you know, running back um, one and running back 32. And if it's blocked, well, they're going to pick up that, that third and short. And so we tend to, I think, overvalue the Herculean effort of a Saquon Barkley or a Zeke Elliott breaking a couple of tackles behind the line of scrimmage on those sort of one-off plays when on balance, when I look at the you know, thousands of run plays that happen throughout a season, it's really the run blocking that is most important. So that, that's one. And then the second thing that you bring up is this sort of establishing the run idea, right? The, right. well, if I want to use play action, I've got to run the ball of successfully. Course, yeah. and, and I think you actually hit the nail on the head there, which is teams come out wanting to stop the run. You talk to defensive coordinators, you listen to defensive coordinators talk, they bring it up immediately. Teams walk onto the field with the run game established because they are thinking to themselves, we need to stop the run. And so that's actually why, and this will, I think, blow your mind, is that teams running the ball successfully aren't actually better at play action. Teams that, that run the that, ball that a lot. That does surprise the hell. That surprises it, me big time. Yeah, that does surprise surpri- me as well. Surprise me too. It surprised the, the living daylights out of me too. And, and, um, and there's just no uh, real hard evidence that establishing the run has to be done. In, in a sense, you can think of it as the run has been established since Red Grange went out there and dominated, you know, all right. those years ago. Yeah. It's just in the minds of defenses. Well, let me ask you, but, but George, I mean, are we, I mean, are we dealing with it all in reality or a vacuum? I mean, because there are instances, I mean, you know, there, there can be outliers to those instances. I mean, so you would be one where you'd never draft a guy like Saquon Barkley with the second overall pick. Right. So Saquon Barkley is a, is a phenomenal player, and I'm a fan of, of athletes. I think it's so much fun to watch athletes be very athletic. And that's what Saquon Barkley may be as skilled and as dynamic a player as you can find. But here's the example that I kind of always um, bring up for Saquon Barkley. If your offense, which is run by Eli Manning, can't manage to get the ball more than five yards downfield and ends up dumping it off to poor Saquon on second and ten, two yards behind the line of scrimmage, he may break three tackles and gain a total of three yards or four yards. That's setting your offense overall backwards. Now, it's an amazing effort by Saquon just to keep you guys from, you know, a loss there. But it's still overall not that much, uh, not really gaining you value. Whereas if you have an efficient passing offense and you're hitting, you know, guys from the slot six, six yards downfield, that's a more valuable play for your offense. Gotcha. So there's a difference between impressive and valuable that it, it hurts running backs, honestly, just because of what they're asked to do. You know, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, with these analytics, it really is. I mean, I mean, you know, I guess for maybe um, older school football mindsets, <clears throat> former players, former coaches, and just fans of the game that support the game, it's it, it is a little tough to wrap around a, a couple of things, especially the running game. I, you know, I, but but whatever. I, I I get what you're saying. So like, maybe actually, like season win total projections for a team. Uh, like, which teams will regress as far as win total projections? It's always, whenever you're looking uh, into a season, people tend to go back, back to last year and go, okay, who was the team that was impressive? I, I think this team will be impressive again. And usually that's kind of the wrong way to look at it because what generally makes a team's win-loss record impressive is they, they get a little lucky. And so when we project the season forward, we simulate it 15,000 times, 
And what that tends to do is help you get rid of some of that luck and see, well, really how good are, are some of these teams. And I think a couple teams that look uh, to be ripe for regression are teams that, that America, quite frankly, loves. So as a fan of football, I kind of hope I'm wrong here, but uh, the Bears and the Cowboys come to mind. Uh, Trubisky and the Bears' offense were very successful last year overall. Maggie was a great coach. But Trubisky was actually not as great as the numbers would, would lead you to believe. He, he led the league in what we call negative throw rate. So you might think of those um, uncatchable passes, right? We grade them negatively at PFF. And that's something that's very stable, very consistent for quarterbacks from season to season. So his impact on the offense is likely to be not, not great for the Bears. And defense is just a hard thing to hold together. So the Bears would be one. And then the Cowboys, um, they were 9-3 and three in games decided by just one score or less, which is can be, it's just kind of a fluky thing, right? Teams generally don't go that aren't that successful in close games. So um, those are a couple teams that now have to play first-place schedules that I would look to take a little bit of a step back this year. All right, then, then who takes a step up? Well, teams that have quarterbacks that are now in position to, to play well. So I think there are certainly a couple of teams out there. The first that I would mention are just the Cardinals. Uh, if I'm looking at a team that's going to make the biggest jump in terms of quarterback play and offensive play, it's got to be the Cardinals. They had an awful offensive system, multiple uh, offensive coordinators. Josh Rosen was under pressure in less than 2.5 seconds, more than any other quarterback last year. Stood no chance. Kyler Murray comes in. He's athletic enough to handle that, that subpar offensive line. So I think the Cardinals um, are, are a team that can make a big step forward. And then I'd also look at the Bucks who have had a pretty impressive offense over the past two years, but their bugaboo has kind of been capitalizing on that. They get Bruce Arians in there with Jameis Winston. That seems to be a match made in heaven. So those would be a couple teams that I think have the arrow pointing up very firmly. So, George, you're, you're obviously a football fan, right? NFL fan, that's obvious, right? Yep. You know your stuff. And uh, are you, do you, I'm just curious, you, do you play fantasy football? You know, it's funny. I, I do, and I was much more into fantasy football before I started working. In, <laughs> I, I believe that. <laughs> I believe that, yeah. So let me ask you, so like, are you going to play in a league this year, Fantasy Football League? Uh, absolutely. I've got two leagues that um, uh, that I will try to hopefully never bail out on, one with a group of, <laughs> of college buddies and one with some high school buddies. That's so, cool, yeah. We have guys on our think... show that bail out. I know what you mean. So, no, this is what I want to ask you, dude. So I'm asking you for a reason. So, like, let's say, you know, uh, in your first or second round, you got a, you know opportunity at a running back. You're going to go with Alvin Kamara or you're going to go with uh, you're going to go with David Montgomery? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'll tell you this. I play in auction leagues, which okay. I like because it doesn't, it doesn't uh, force me to make that decision. Um, and, and I play in two quarterback leagues. So that puts kind of the premium on the quarterback. But I would say this. If I'm looking at, at running backs out there um, in the cu- first couple of rounds, certainly if I'm picking in the top you know, three or four or whatever, and you have kind of a standard league construction, maybe you get some points for reception. Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey are sort of the two guys that that stick out to me. I think Christian McCaffrey is a guy that is uniquely dominating as a receiver, which can generate a ton of value in the NFL. He's a guy that you can put in the slot and actually run receiver routes downfield, which really helps you gain value. So he's a guy that's obviously going to get the carries, score the touchdowns, but 
can be a huge benefit in the passing game too. You know, uh, when you evaluate, uh, we went through you know some ups and downs here. What about the the valuation of, of position here? We have about a minute left. Uh, you know, when you go sure. through the importance of positions on a football team, uh, you know, what is how does PFF handle that? Yeah, well, looking at which kind of facets of play best help you win games, passing is obviously a clear number one. But I think that the second and third would maybe surprise some people. Generally, it's, it's receiving and coverage. And so they're the two players on the end point of the pass, which is the most valuable play in football. Um, so if you have good receivers and you have good guys, that, uh, good defensive backs that can cover the pass, those are the two second, most, uh, second and third most valuable positions. Not necessarily the easiest to attain. Coverage is kind of a notoriously hard thing to pin down. But if you have it, it's very valuable. George Shahori, uh, PFF Head of uh, Research and Development. Hey, George, we appreciate it. Uh, camps are open up, abound across the country, and uh, thanks for a couple minutes this morning. Thanks a lot, George. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have you a good got, We Take should care. get you on again real soon. Uh, he gave you a good perspective. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, he did. He did. I just don't I, – I mean – Oh, you don't have to agree. I don't with, agree with I mean, the, 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 the running the ball deal. I no, mean, I get it. I get I, it. I, we, it. It comes part and parcel how important the offensive line is with running the ball. I yes. mean, that's, that's the running game. No, I, I agree. I don't disagree with you the there. Ball. I don't, I don't the disagree ball. with you there. But he did have the perspective. I mean, if, if George was in a front office, he'd never spend a first-round pick on a uh, running back. Well, that's what I was trying to get at him with the fancy football. I think he missed what I was trying to say because no, – you know, but whatever. But I get it. Run the rock, right, yeah, Taz? Run the rock, son. I believe Taz, Moose, CBS Sports Radio. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.